Hello, my name is Dean Bobar, and I am the Adult Life Minister at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. As a church, we are seeking to cultivate a vibrant community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world so our neighbors may also experience God's goodness. You're listening to our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. One of God's good gifts to us as human beings is the ability to pursue answers to our questions. Indeed, whole books of the Bible are focused on answering important questions about faith and life. One such book is Job. For this week's podcast, I'm going to explore briefly this question that Job addresses and then show how the book of Job addresses this question. The question the book of Job unpacks is what's known as the theodicy question. The word theodicy comes from two Greek words, theos and dike. Put together, they mean justification or vindication of God. If God is all-powerful, then why doesn't he do something about our suffering? Perhaps God isn't really good. On the other hand, God might be all good, but not all powerful enough to deal with evil. The book of Job addresses the theodicy question in terms of the unexplained suffering of the man, Job, hence the title of the book. Have you ever asked this question or something like it before? Something like, why doesn't God seem to care about suffering, about my suffering, about the world's suffering? I've done so. For me, it's all about understanding. I would like to know God's reasons. It would help me feel more comfortable and in control. God, help me to understand why it seems like you don't care about suffering. I want to encourage you to approach the theodicy question and the book of Job, not just intellectually, but also personally. You see, the key to reading the book is to empathize with Job and his personal experience of unexplained suffering. There's this tension throughout the book. As readers, we know what's going on with Job, but Job and his family and friends never get to know why he suffered as he did. We get to hear what's happening in heaven, but Job and the other human characters never get that insight. In heaven, we hear about two tests Job undergoes without his knowing it. Let's set the scene before we encounter the two tests in the first two chapters. After being introduced to a righteous and blessed man named Job, we hear a conversation in the court of heaven. God is speaking to angelic creatures. One of them is the Satan or the adversary or the accuser. Hear Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. Now there was a day when the sons of God, referring to the angelic creatures, came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, or the Satan, also came among them. The Lord said to the Satan, from where have you come? The Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to the Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then the Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to the Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. 
only against him do not stretch out your hand. So that Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now we can unpack each test. The first test we hear here is whether Job served God's purely serves God purely for the sake of service. Job goes on to suffer four waves of horrible tragedies. He loses all his children, his servants, and his wealth. He passes the test, and that's chapter one. In chapter two, we find the second test as we move from earth back to heaven. This time, the adversary wants to harm Job's body. God allows this, but he cannot kill Job. Again, Job passes the test. This is the prologue to the book, which sets up the rest of the book. The middle section, chapters 3 through 37, then shift, shifts to poetry with three cycles of dialogue about Job's suffering as he engages with his friends. Then, in chapters 38, verse 1 through chapter 42, verse 6, God shows up and speaks out of the whirlwind as he manifests his glorious presence, speaking to Job and his three friends. Finally, in the last part of chapter 42, verses 7 through 17, the book returns to prose, telling the story of Job's restoration. So all this poetry is framed by prose at the beginning and the end. Let's focus for a bit on that middle section. Job and his three friends debate what's known as retribution theology, the idea that righteousness leads to prosperity on the one hand and wickedness to destruction on the other hand. Basically, God rewards the righteous and punishes the wicked. As readers, we're meant to consider all the different arguments we hear in this middle section. The way we put the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? For Job's friends, Job must have done something to earn it. But for Job, he maintains that although he has sinned, nothing he has done warrants what he suffered. Basically, Job is struggling to make sense of his experience but Job's friends are seeking to maintain their theology, what they know about God and his ways in the world. So what do you do when your faith and your life experiences don't match up? How has your faith maybe been challenged during this challenging year? Job gives us a good example in one regard. He laments, he cries out to God about his suffering. And this is something we can recover as the church, God's new covenant people. By the end of the book, Job never curses God but he does demand God give an account of his justice. Job does stray in doing this, but as for the test at the beginning of the book, Job proves God right. Now we get a different view of the book when we consider it in light of the good news of Jesus. It seems that God does not care about our suffering, but the gospel reframes the whole question. Not only does God care, but God is also good enough and powerful enough to deal with my suffering and the whole world's suffering. Put simply, God suffers for us in the giving of his son. This truth is found throughout the New Testament. Listen to the good news in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This good news changes how we experience our difficult questions. I might suffer for various reasons, to shape my character, because of my sin, because of other sins, the brokenness of the world, the work of the devil, or just God's permissive will, what he allows to happen. We don't get to know all the answers to our difficult questions. 
what we do get is the good news of God's overcoming love through God's Son. Let us trust and rejoice in this good news as Jesus follows. Thanks so much for joining us for our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our Year in the Bible campaign to subscribe or learn how you can become engaged with us as a church, please visit us at cpchb.org.